The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. We want to start with the setting. That's going to be my first point in verse 22 through 24. And then we'll have uh, point number two, which is going to be the discussion that everybody that was coming to John, or at least it appears that a great number of the people that were previously coming to John the Baptist are now going to Christ. And then finally, we're going to be going through the final point, which is why that's occurring, who Jesus is, and the fact that Jesus, this new person who has stepped onto the scene as this uh, uh, fresh face, a new rabbi from Galilee, is actually Christ Jesus who is above all. So to start in verse 22, I'm going to just read it real quick. We just saw this great video, but I want to just read it so that we get the context. Uh, Verse 22, after Jesus, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into Judea, the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Enon, near Salim, because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put into, into prison. So, at the beginning of this scene, Jesus is in the, in the countryside of Judea. And John is in a different area, Enon, near Salim. And the pronunciation, I don't know if anybody really knows how to pronounce these words. I got the pronunciation from the Blue Letter Bible. They were saying something different in the video. It doesn't really matter because these areas are a little bit obscure and nobody knows exactly where they are, but it's theorized that it's near Mount Ebal, kind of close to the Jordan where there are springs. That's that phrase that says there was much water there is kind of associated with that area. But the point is that they have now separated. Jesus and John were both around the Jordan and, and then Jesus went up to Galilee to call uh, some of his disciples and he's come to Judea and he's in a different area than John and John is baptizing and Jesus's ministry is also uh, engaged in the ministry of baptism and his followers end up with in a discussion with a Jew about purification and it's not recorded exactly what that discussion was but it's natural to assume that it had something to do with baptism something to do with the mikvah which is the Jewish uh, practice of baptism or purification that that is spoken of in Leviticus 13 14 and 15 whatever that was it led to a natural question a natural observation and that is that John having his glorious ministry, was baptizing many, many people from many, many different walks of life. And now this other man from Galilee is now baptizing more people. And the crowds that are around Jesus are starting to increase. And John's crowds are starting to dwindle a little bit. And so there's a concern as to whether or not there's some kind of explanation for this to occur because his disciples, as you can see in the video, are a little bit concerned. It's like everybody's going to this other person that you testified of, but it's kind of getting less here. So it kind of begs the question, is there a reason? Is there a discussion? Is there something that you can give us? And John goes on to say that um, a number of different things. In verse 25, 
they were discussing baptism. We already went over that. Verse 26, um, 26, 27. 27 is when it really starts, this discussion. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. So in other words, he he could have never taken credit for the crowds to begin with. So they were talking about, well, you're losing a little bit of influence. But John is saying, I never had this influence anyway. I told you, verse 28, I am not the Christ. And then in 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom or the groom. So he goes into this rich illustration that, that his hearers would have understood very well. A Jewish wedding where, where the friend of the bridegroom would bring the bride to the groom. And his purpose and his joy is to see the bride end up with the groom. It's not that he is, is jealous of the, uh, of the affections of the bride. That's not his role. His role is to see the joy of the bride and the joy of the groom fulfilled in a wedding. So when they, when they heard that illustration, they would have been like, ah, I understand. And John is explaining that you may think that I'm afraid of losing influence, but that was the whole point to begin with is to point toward him. It was to point toward Christ. And if we understand that, if we understand our purpose in bringing other people to Christ and that we're coming to Christ, if we have a ministry that's growing, then we don't, we don't grab onto that and say, ah, well, you know, I must be doing something to make this grow. We just saw in verse uh, 27, a person cannot receive even one thing and let us, unless it is given from heaven. So if your ministry is growing, it's from heaven. If it's shrinking, it's also from heaven because now, hopefully, you're able to pass on the ministry that you've had to someone else and someone else is going to pick up that baton and bring it to Christ. And it's all about him anyway. He must increase and we must decrease. There will always come a day when we will have to step aside. There will always come a day where we'll have to uh, 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 leave behind a ministry, a fruitful season in our life, and go on to something else. And if our identity is wrapped up, can you imagine if John's identity was actually wrapped up in his own ministry? What would his attitude have been? He would have been like, you're right. We've got to do something to get those crowds back. We've got, to, we've got to do something to maybe, you know, I know he said he was the Christ, but maybe we can say, well, he's the Christ, but I'm the prophet. And remember, he was a descendant of Zechariah. Zechariah was, was of the tribe of Levite. Zechariah was his dad, right? We saw that in earlier uh, uh, sermons. Zechariah was serving in the temple. Zechariah was of the tribe of Levi. Zechariah was a direct descendant of the high priest of Aaron, the first high priest of Israel. So the bona fides of John the Baptist as a prophet of God were significant. This is why they were so confused. Because now you've got this new rabbi from where? From Galilee? Really? Not of the tribe of Levi? Not a descendant of Aaron? So they're wondering, they're, they're grappling with this. And so they would have understood that, wait a minute, if he's truly the Messiah and he's truly the groom, then as our crowds dwindle, that's what's supposed to happen. And so everybody is starting to go to Christ. Christ is above all. Christ is above all. In verse 31, because we've, we've unpacked this, this great illustration of a groom and a bride 
But it begs the question as to really, why are you saying this? Why are you saying that Jesus is the groom and you're just the friend of the groom? Why is it that he is the one that gets the growing crowds and we are the ones that get to sit here and watch the crowds dwindle? And so he unpacks that quite a bit in verses 31 through 36. And this is where the whole passage kind of grows to a crescendo because there's such a vital point that we have to get at the end of this. And if we miss it, then we're really missing out on the whole point of John's ministry. So, verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So in verse 31, he is above all because he's from heaven. This is what he was saying earlier. And When you look at the ministry of John, and when you look at all the prophets, when you look at the ministry of all of the people that came before, you see so much of the commands are, are directed toward life here on earth and outward regulations. When Jesus came onto the scene, his ministry was so unique because everything he said applied to the spirit, to the spiritual realm, to the heart. Everything that he said redirected everybody's uh, uh, view from here on earth to heaven. Uh, there's so many exa- examples of this. In Luke 12, there was a man who came to Jesus and said, good teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's one good, but our father in heaven. Now, Jesus wasn't trying to say that he wasn't himself good. He was trying to get this man's gaze off of all of the earthly things that were gripping his heart, the covetousness, the greed, the disagreement with his brother. And he was trying to get him to think about spiritual matters. And he goes on in that passage to give the parable of the person who has all these barns. And as he gets more and more wealth, he finds out that he has to build more and bigger, bigger, bigger barns. And to the point where it's the end of his life. And Jesus says, that person, that very night, that person's soul was was required of him and he hadn't done the works of God applying it back to everybody else is your life filled with covetousness he completely sidesteps the question in Luke 13 they come to him and ask this tower in Siloam that fell on a bunch of people and they died was it their fault were they cursed was that just bad luck were they doing something evil that nobody else knew about it and God cursed him and the, the tower fall do, fell on him? Or was it just chance? And Jesus says, it wasn't their sin, but I tell you, if you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. 
So see, he, he totally dismisses all of, the, all of the political and theological debates of the day, not dismissing it, but going beyond it and pointing everybody around to, to the reality of spiritual significance. Again, woman at the well, it'll be our very next sermon. This woman wants water that she can drink and no longer be thirsty. But Jesus is talking about spiritual water. I have water that you know not of. Whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. And she asks, well, give me the water. Go call your husband. She's like, wait a minute. Why is he changing the subject? Because he's, he's, he's drilling towards something deeper, the heart issues. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And out of the heart are the issues of life. And if the heart is single, then we have what's beyond life, right? This life will come to an end. And we'll get to that in a, in, in a bit. Second Timothy. John 6. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Right? Spiritual realities. And they completely miss the point. Because the people that he's talking to are spiritually deaf. And that brings us to uh, uh, verse 32. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. And no one receives his testimony. Why? Spiritually deaf. They're listening, but they're listening with ears that are not attuned to the spirit. And so many times we're guilty of this, where we come into church and we're wanting a sermon that speaks to us and tells us what we want to hear. We want something perhaps that's entertaining. We want something that's funny or juicy or has something to do with uh, politics or or something that's being debated in the day. But nobody is receiving his testimony because his testimony is of a spiritual uh, nature. 33 through 35, he unpacks and tries to get at who Jesus really is, which is so difficult to do. Because how can you describe the Son of God? How can you describe Jesus? How can you even do that? Let me go back, make sure that I really have. Okay. Jesus is above all. He utters the words of God. And he has been given the spirit without measure. God has given all things into his hand. His hand. What he is trying to say is that he is the alpha. He is the omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the lion of Judah. He is the Messiah. He is the coming one. He is the chosen one. He is God in the flesh. He is the son of God. I got some amens. Hey. And the reason I say that is because if I were to stand up here and just wax eloquent about Christ, and that was the whole sermon and I was just enthusiastic and, and I was just jumping around and, and praising the Lord. And everybody just kind of like, I, I, think, I think coming here for years, for, for a year and a half, I think I could say there's probably two groups in here. There would be some groups who would be jumping up and down with me. And then there would be perhaps another group whose eyes were glazing over. And what they really want is what they, re- what they really want is something that would Something else, something that, that scratches an itch, something like an illustration or, 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 some, or, or maybe some jokes that keep it lively. But it's like, listen, all we need is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
We need all these other things. We need to understand how to use money. We need to understand uh, marriage we need to, and, and what the Bible talks about with marriage. We need to understand. But if you had all of that and you missed Christ, then you would have nothing. You'd have absolutely nothing. We need Christ. And you can almost hear maybe a little bit of frustration in John because he's been saying this and he's saying this. And he said, this, this man is above all. He is the Lamb of God. Please, just go to him. Go to him. Are we remaining deaf to the things of God? Or do we want something more? Something politically juicy, powerful. But what if we saw the source of all wisdom and power and truth in our life is our relationship with Jesus Christ? The empowering of the Holy Spirit, God's word and prayer, just right back to the very basics, just the very, very foundation of our relationship with Christ. And that all brings us, it's all bringing us to this grand crescendo. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes in the Son, that is, faith and trust in God. John 3.16, last, last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. True belief is not an intellectual assent or agreement with those words, with the gospel. That's not what it is. True faith is when you put your absolute personal trust in Jesus Christ, where you are willing to just come to Jesus and allow him to order your life the way he sees fit. You, you accept him not just as Savior, but also as Lord. Because if you accept him as Savior and not as Lord, you have a different Jesus. You've created a Jesus in your own. You've seen what you've wanted to see, right? Just as they were. Jesus was baptizing. Jesus was baptizing, but he, never, he didn't commit himself unto them. Like at the end of chapter 2, Pastor Colin preached this fantastic sermon outlining why Jesus wasn't going to commit himself to the people who were saying that they were following him because he knew what was really in them. He knew that they were seeing something in him that wasn't true. They had a false Jesus. They had a military Messiah. They had a political Messiah. Is that what we're doing? When we look at Jesus, do we just see a savior? Because the Bible presents a savior, but he, he presents a savior and a king. He presents a savior and a Lord. He is prophet, priest, and king. He is all of those in one, in one perfect whole package. Are we accepting him and letting him be who he says he is? When we accept that, Jesus has just got his arms wide open. He is begging you to come to him. He wants you to come to him. All who come to him, Find him. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. 
through 30. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Let me try to say that in the correct way. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He'll give you rest. Rest from what? Rest from shame. Rest from guilt, the burden of your sin. Rest from fear of death. And all of the greatest issues of life that press onto you that everybody loves to just put out of their mind and just put it out. Have you ever noticed that people just like to talk and act as if they're immortal? They'll never talk, almost never talk about how they're actually planning for moving on to the next life. As they're always in the here and now, the here and now, the to-do list for today, and never thinking about death. But death comes to us all, and we must be prepared. And Jesus holds his arms out, and he says, Come to me, all ye who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. That's the heart of Jesus. It's not fire and brimstone. There is that. And we'll get to that in a moment, but... Christ wants to give you eternal life. He wants you to come to him. Second half of the verse, you would expect it to say, whoever does not believe in the Son. Why? Because it starts by saying, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe in the Son shall not see life. That's what you would think it would say, but it doesn't say that. It says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Why does it say obey? When we look at the Bible, when we look at obedience, we see an intimate association between true faith and obedience to God's holy and infallible word. In John 15, it says, if you love me, obey my commandments. There's that intimate association between obedience and faith and faith and obedience. In Revelation 20, 11 through 21, it talks about the last judgment where everybody, both small and great, are brought before the great white throne of Jesus Christ. And everybody is judged. And some of them go to heaven and some of them go to hell. And everybody is judged based on the deeds that they have done during their life here on earth. And it's kind of strange because it's like, well, wait a minute. Ephesians 2, it's not based on works, lest any man should boast. And in many other places in the Bible, it's not based on works. It's based on, <clears throat> it's based on grace through faith. So why is it that we come all the way to the end of the Bible and all of a sudden it's based on works? Is it a bait and switch? Not at all, because true faith, pretty subjective, right? I really believe, I, I, I promise, it's pretty subjective, but but obedience authenticates the claim to true faith. Obedience authenticates faith. In James, it talks about this. Even the, de- even the demons believe and tremble. tremble. <clears throat> you say that I have, I have, uh, uh, you have works and I have faith, but I will show you my faith by my works. Isaiah 29, 13, these people draw 
near and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Anybody can say that they believe. Anybody can do it. It's so easy. Talk is cheap, right? It's even easy to come up here behind this pulpit and rant and rave and get all worked up and, and, and give a great sermon because you've prepared so hard for it. But that doesn't really mean anything on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday if you're just living just like the world and nobody can see anything different from you and anybody else. We have to be honest with ourselves. Are we truly saved? There's a, I don't want to harp on this. This is not where I want to go. I don't want to be the fire and brimstone guy. And it may look like that because my first sermon came, uh, went right through this. And I looked at this sermon. I was like, I could almost take that sermon and just copy and paste and preach this, the exact same sermon. I wonder if anybody would notice. But like that, this is a similar, this is a similar like layout. It's like almost the same, like, you know, he must increase, I must decrease. In the first chapter, it was, you know, he, he, was, he was giving a, sim, a similar uh, thing. He said, behold the Lamb of God. And he was pointing people to Christ. It was almost the same thing. And I preached a lot of the same things as far as, are you saved? But I have to stay true to this text and have to ask you, are you really saved? When you look at your life and you, and you compare it to the Bible, are you obedient to the Holy Scriptures? Do you, are you empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience to him? Are you putting God first? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Are you sexually pure? Are you somebody who tells the truth? Are you somebody that can stand up for right and witness for Christ? Are you somebody who has a credible testimony so that when somebody at work says, um, you know, I asked them, you know, what about so-and-so? And they're like, oh, that person's a Christian. I can tell because I tried to get him to do something that was wrong. And he said, absolutely not. Or they're like, oh, that guy, that guy cheats all the time. What kind of testimony do you have? Not perfection, but something real, something that's weighty. When people are in, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they walk in power. They absolutely walk in power. And when they fall into sin, they're grieved by the sin. Instead of covering it up, and saying, ah, it's no big deal. I hope I don't get caught. God knows my heart and all sorts of like excuses. Instead, they confess it and they repent of it. And if they fall again, they repent again. And they want nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that hypocrisy. Is that you? If that's you, then praise the Lord, you're saved. Because you're not going to be like that without the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be like that without a true conversion. You're not going to be like that without true tr transformation. You're only going to be like that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and regenerates you and, and gives you a hatred, a true hatred for sin and hypocrisy. The last part of the verse, wrath. The wrath of God dwells on you. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Christ, <clears throat> the wrath of God is, is on you in a continual way. And you may not feel it because it's revealed gradually. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about how the wrath of God is revealed. It's a continual process. As people fall deeper and deeper into sin, 
they start to realize that sin has consequences. Even, even in this short period of time that we have here on earth, sin does have some consequences, right? But the real consequences later when we stand before uh, an almighty judge. But the wrath of God is on you. And it's only by his grace that you still sit here in a nice air-conditioned room in relative comfort, away from the full manifestation of God's wrath. It's only by his grace that you are sitting here and you have not yet passed away and had to go and answer for your sins. It's only by his grace that you are still here. You're still here on a Sunday morning hearing the preaching of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, that Jesus Christ came and took the penalty on himself on the cross so that whoever believes in him can have forgiveness of their sin. You're here this morning, and that's great. That's such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful opportunity, but don't waste it if you're not saved. Don't leave here today without having accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Give up your life and say, Lord, I don't know what to do with my life. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to make you Lord, and I'm going to, I'm going to do my best uh, by the grace of God, by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, to follow every single command that you have ever uttered. And I won't do it perfectly, but, I, but my life is now yours. I give it to you. It's going to be gone anyway. I might as well give it to you because you are Lord. You are beautiful. You, are, you have come to save my sins. That's the way we seek Christ with all of our heart. We give him everything without any hesitation. If you're not truly converted, come to him. None of us wants to see you on that day unprepared. Mark 9, verse 43 through 48. And if your hand causes you to sin, this is, called, uh, this is speaking figuratively. Jesus talks in figurative language so that the spiritual language comes through. Uh, the spiritual meaning is what's important. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. So if there's something that you've got and you're just like, I can't give it up. It would kill me to get rid of her. It would kill me to break up with her. It would kill me to, 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 to have to stand out and lose my friends. It would kill me to have to no longer sign on the dotted line in, 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 a, in, a, in some sort of like um, dishonest signing of your name to something that people are, are pushing you toward. Dishonest extortion dishonesty. It would kill me to give up all these ways. It would kill me to give up drugs. It would kill me to give up sex. It would kill me to give up porn. It would kill me to give up my own ways. It would kill me to give up all the partying and all the nonsense that I'm involved in. I just can't do it. You got you to gotta come to God. You got to confess that to him. And then you've got to say, Lord, in your strength, I am willing to cut that off. I'm willing to cut it off. Get rid of that thing. 47, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. That's figuratively pulling something away from you, that, that darling sin. 48, where their worm does not die 
and the fire is not quenched. That's a reference to the the Valley of Hinnon, also known as Gehenna. It came to be uh, linked in the minds of rabbis with eternal punishment because uh, in ancient times, in the Old Testament, they went to that valley and they sacrificed their infants to the false god Ashtaroth. And that valley became associated with uncleanness and wickedness. And so they would take all the refuse of the city and they would bring it to that valley just south of Jerusalem at the bottom of the mountain that Jerusalem is, is built on. It's kind of like a cliff there. They would burn all their trash and they would burn all of the, um, all of the carcasses and all of the, all of the unclean things. And those carcasses would always be there infested with maggots and they would always be burning. As somebody was always burning trash and there was always the smell of decay, always maggots, always burning, all this. And it was such a picture of, of, of hell that the name of that became synonymous with hell. So when he says their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched, they would have immediately gone to that valley and they would have thought that's the consequence That's the consequence of not leaving the world behind. That's the consequence of clinging to my own way. That's the consequence going to that place. I love every one of you. I don't know you all, but I know that God loves you and he's given me a love for each one of you through the power of his Holy Spirit. And I can tell you, that God is pleading with you. He wants you to come to him. And whoever comes to him, he will no wise cast out. That is, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter. Those kind of things <clears throat> are the kind of things that keep us from Christ. Oh, I'm too bad. Don't even hesitate. Run to Christ. And as the worship team comes and we close this, and, we, and we, do our final, uh, we do our final song, I want to say this. While this last song plays, really cry out to God. If there's any doubt in your mind that you're, that you're not saved, really cry, uh, cry out to God. Ask Him to reveal it to you. Ask, ask Him that His Holy Spirit will come. Ask Him that, that He would save you. In the Spirit, pray in the, in in your mind pray in your heart pray with all your might and if any of you feel that you need any kind of of uh help in that any kind of um discussion with a pastor your connection cards pull them out check that box i gave my life to the lord i want prayer or i want somebody to talk to me and put it in the back offering box there or give it to somebody who will know what to do with it. Spend some time with the Lord. Really think about it. Look at your life. Examine it. Am I walking with Christ? And for those of us who are walking with Christ, let's look at Christ the way he has presented himself, as Savior and Lord. He is the one who is above all, and nothing else compares to him. Nothing. There's nothing on earth, if you're tempted by something, nothing on earth compares to Christ. I want to close in a a word of prayer and then the the worship prayer, the worship uh, team is going to start playing. And uh, 
I didn't, I didn't mean for this to be this heavy, but the Holy Spirit, I, I believe that there are people in this, in this room that need to hear this. They need to respond. And Lord God, please save them. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so, 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 so much for the Lord and your blessing and, and, and the sacrifice of Christ. God, I thank you so much for your love. God, I pray that these dear people, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon them and that they would see you as you are. I pray that they would see you as somebody that they can come to, somebody that they can, they can reach out to, somebody that they can trust. And God, I pray that people who are not saved, that they would come to you and that they would be saved, Lord. And I pray these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.